You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. You can turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12, we're going to look at this psalm. It's not a very long psalm. We're going to look at this psalm tonight, and then we will uh, look at our prayer list together and pray together. Psalm chapter 12. Oh, it's wet outside. Mr. Bob, you got wet. It's raining hard. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. Yeah, well... Psalm chapter 12. Don't forget this is Memorial Day weekend coming up, so we'll uh, celebrate that, recognize that here at our church this weekend. It's a time when our nation uh, remembers those who have given their life and service for our country, so we'll um, pay tribute to that. And we've got a very special guest preacher. Uh, His name is Chris Adams. He's a commander in the Navy, and he's a chaplain. And he was my pastor in high school and college that really walked me through my call to ministry, discipled me, mentored me. Uh, He's very near and dear to me and a great influence on my life. So he and his wife, Christy, will be here with us um, on on Sunday. He'll be preaching. So I've been bragging on you, so show up, okay? Don't, I mean, don't uh, show up for that and uh, you'll be blessed. He's he's a great preacher and uh, it'll be fitting for a naval chaplain to be uh, preaching on uh, Memorial Day weekend, so I'm very excited uh, about that. Want you can't wait for you to get to meet him. I, I talk about him a lot in my sermons, so I'm excited for you to get to, to meet Chris uh, this weekend. All right, Psalm chapter 12. We're going to read it together, and then we will jump right in. Uh, notice it's only eight verses, and it begins by saying to the choir master. This was intended to be used in uh, worship. It was a, it's a hymn, and it says, according to the Shemineth. Uh, which is a musical term, maybe, a, maybe a, a tune or a melody of some sort. We don't really know, but probably a musical term. And then it mentions this is a psalm of David, King David. Verse 1, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. Notice that phrase, the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure wor- <clears throat> Excuse me, pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Just a reminder, the major theme of the Psalms is this. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. And as John Piper reminds us, The psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. 
Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And we find some emotions here in Psalm 12. And by the way, we'll, we'll study some emotions next week as well. Psalm 13 is about depression. So we're going to talk a lot about that next week. So I hope you'll be here for that. But uh, in, in this psalm, it's really a matter of discouragement. We don't know exactly what the historical context is here with David. He's discouraged by uh, what he sees happening around him. And you can kind of see the context in verse 1 and in the last verse, verse 8. Verse 1, he says, the godly one is gone, the faithful have vanished. So he's looking for good folks. He's looking for people that are godly, people that are righteous, people that are serving the Lord. He can't find anybody. And then look what he says in verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And so the deal here is this. Everywhere he looks, he sees the wicked, and he can't find godly people. And it is discouraging uh, David as he experiences this, this phenomenon. It's, it's like he is surrounded by evil. He feels isolated. And James Montgomery Boyce highlights this when he writes, As we begin this psalm, we find that the psalmist feels isolated. Haven't you felt that way at times? Perhaps you were trying to do the right thing at work. And everyone ignored you because they did not want to be judged by your standards. You may have felt isolated at home or at school. People in government often say they feel that the godly are no more and that the faithful have vanished from among men. And so Boyce makes the point that we can identify with David's discouragement here because as we have tried to follow the Lord as Christians in different ways and shapes and forms, we find ourselves a bit isolated sometimes. We don't see a lot of godliness happening around us, and it can be discouraging. You can see evil everywhere. And David takes this emotion of discouragement to the Lord. And we can identify again with David's loneliness here. And so what I want to do is I want to just look at some headings from this psalm that help us to understand how you and I can process that discouragement, how we can process that feeling of loneliness or feeling like we're kind of the, the, the only one out there trying to serve uh, the Lord. First of all, notice the evil speech of a decaying society. David highlights the evil speech of a decaying society. And there are different types of, of talk here that he highlights. The first is what David uh, calls empty talk. Look what it says there in verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Now notice that word lies. See that word lies in verse 2? Everyone utters lies. Uh, really, uh, probably a better translation of that word in this verse is the, the word emptiness. It's a term which embraces falsehood, but also uh, it's, it's, uh, it speaks of the, the insincere and the irresponsible uh, people that, that cheapen and corrode human speech with empty talk. So he's speaking there of, of, of looking around society, and as my dad used to say, people are flapping their gums. <laughs> there, there's a lot of talk, but it's, there's no substance. It's, it's empty. It's, it's vain. It's, it, it, it just has, has nothing of weight or value. Empty talk. Secondly, there's smooth talk that... Uh, David highlights there in verse 2. Everyone utters lies or empty words to his neighbor with flattering lips. Flattering lips. That word flattering in the Hebrew is, is literally the word smooth. 
literally the word smooth. You know what, you know what flattery is? Flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. That's what flattery is. You're trying to, you're trying to gain some sort of standing uh, with them by, by getting them to accept you more or like you more based upon your speech. Trying to, you're trying to kind of make inroads into their, into their emotional life, thinking they will like you more or give you more influence because you are flattering them with your speech. So, so smooth talk here. He says, everywhere I look, there are the ungodly that are smooth talkers, flattering speech. And then there's double talk. In verse 2 he says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips. Now look at this next phrase. And a double heart they speak. Isn't that interesting? A double heart. They're speaking from a double heart. We say to our kids all the time, words come from the heart. Right? Jesus said that. That, that, that what comes out of our mouth has its origin in the heart. So if there are evil words coming out of the mouth, it's coming from an evil heart. Right? And here he says that the ungodly are speaking words that come from a double heart. It's literally, if you're looking at this in the Hebrew language, it's literally they're speaking with a heart and a heart. A heart and a heart. So two hearts is, is what they are saying here. And this phrase, a heart and a heart, was a Hebrew idiom. It was a, a, a figure of speech uh, that basically says, basically means double talk. So you're talking with a heart and a heart. Two hearts are behind your speech. It's double talk uh, as you know, you've seen the, the old Westerns and, and someone representing the Native Americans would say he speaks with forked tongue, right? In, in other words, he's saying one thing, but, but it's, it's double talk. You, you can't trust what's coming out of his mouth. It's using a word that means one thing to advance something that is, that is its exact opposite. And so David's looking around. He says there's, there's empty talk, just a bunch of foolishness. There's smooth talk, a bunch of flattery. There's double talk. Uh, people are saying things that are deceptive. Uh, but then there's big talk. Big talk. Look what it says in verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. The tongue that makes great boasts. I told you in my sermon Sunday that the Lord hates, it says in Proverbs, He hates a proud look, a haughty Look, and the tongue here is in line with that idea. It's a proud tongue that boasts of great things, that, that talks big. Warren Wearsby says about this, this uh, phrase, proud words, he says, This describes, or great boasts, this describes boastful speech that impresses people by its oratory and vocabulary. Both tell us, or this kind of speech is motivated by pride and is used by people who think they're in control. And will never need to answer to anybody, including the Lord. Their lips are their own, and they can they can speak just as they please. Big talk. So I think I've told you I went to college at uh, Florida Southern College in, in Lakeland, Florida. That's where I got my bachelor's degree. And if you know anything about Florida Southern College, it is um, most well known for being um, a campus designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. How many of you heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? He's a, an, he was a very eccentric architect, and he designed many of the buildings, the old buildings on the campus of Florida. So it was just a big deal. Frank Lloyd Wright, Frank Lloyd Wright, heard about it all the time, right? And uh, he, was, he was quite a character. In fact, there was, there was one building, I think it was the math building, but 
there was an upstairs, and you'd have to walk down the stairs. And when you came to the bottom of the stairwell to walk out into the courtyard, there was a very low, um, a very low uh, threshold for the door. It was in, you, had, you had to duck your head to go out into the courtyard. And I was told that he built that in so that when you walk under that door, you are bowing down his architecture. He put that in there on purpose. He said, was he really like that? Well, uh, at age 89, Frank Lloyd Wright found himself on the witness stand. He was involved in some sort of uh, civil trial. And when he was introducing himself, he said that he was the greatest architect in the world. That's how he described himself. His wife, after this, chastised him for his arrogance. Like, why would you say you're the greatest architect in the world? He said, well, I, I was under oath. I swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I'm the greatest architect in the world. That's what he's talking about here. Big, boastful, grand talk uh, that's all uh, driven by pride. And so, number one, we see the, the evil speech of a decaying society, and it's really got David discouraged. Secondly, we see the ungodly oppression of a decaying society. Look in verse 5 just quickly. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. But notice here that David is recognizing that those who have some sort of power in society are using it to oppress those who do not have power in society. We don't know exactly what's happening here. We don't know the details. We don't know if it's economic oppression or if it's, or if it's racial oppression or, or what's going on here. But, but, but it's kind of a a survival of the fittest mentality. Those who have power were placing their foot upon those who were powerless. And David sees that, and it discourages him, the ungodly oppression of a decaying society. But third, we see the glamour of evil in a decaying society. Look what it says in verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl. Now, now, now look at this next phrase, and tell me this doesn't sound like 2023. Look at this phrase. As vileness is exalted among the children of man. David's he's saying not only is there evil happening, but evil is being celebrated. It's being exalted. It's being, it's being exalted in. People are, are celebrating this vileness, this ungodliness. And we see that in our culture in so many different ways. And I could spend the rest of my sermon talking about how we see vileness exalted among the children of man. It, it just you know, almost goes without saying, but I'll say it. Almost every day I find myself shocked by something I see. See it you know, on advertisements or whatever. Something I see or something I'm exposed to, I'm just shocked that that, that level of, of, of degrading, immoral um, uh, information is, is placed out there and it is celebrated. The glamour of evil in a decaying society. So David's discouraged. Evil speech, oppression... Evil celebrated, he's discouraged. But look at the fourth heading, and this gives us a little bit of hope, and it is the hope for the godly and the decaying society. How are we to, how are we to, to process the, the evil that we see, and how are we to live in response to what we see happening in our society and in our world? Well, let me give you uh, four answers to that question. The hope for the godly and the decaying society. Number one, 
we anticipate the Lord being stirred to action. We anticipate the Lord being stirred to action. Look what uh, David writes in verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. In other words, David is anticipating that God will get to a place as he looks at the, the evils of society where he will rise up and he will move in response to that evil. That, that there will be a line that's crossed in the sovereign heart of God and God will be stirred to action to move on behalf of those who are being oppressed, to move on behalf of the, of the, of the righteous as it seems like evil is winning the day. We anticipate the Lord being stirred to action. How many of you ever read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? One of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's a children's book. He was... Children read it, but it's a good book for any age to read. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's in some ways an allegory of Christianity. And there are some pictures of, of, of Christianity uh, in that book. And there's a Christ-type figure uh, named Aslan. He's a lion. And Aslan uh, is powerful. And Aslan is the king of, of Narnia. And when you, when you read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe... These English children find themselves in the land of Narnia, and it's winter, and there's a evil white witch who's in control, and it's very, very bleak, and and um, and, and 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 the kids feel the evil, and they're they're scared, and uh, they're told by one of the characters, "Yes, but Aslan is on the move." I know it looks like winter now, but Aslan's do he's up to he's moving. And I, that, I, when I read that, every time I read that line, it always encourages me uh, that when it looks bleak, when it looks like winter, uh, everywhere, you, everywhere you look, uh, know that God is on the move. God is going to move in response to what he sees, and he will one day set everything straight. We anticipate the Lord being stirred to action. Secondly, we trust that the Lord will watch over us. Look in verse 5. Speaking on behalf of the Lord... I will now arise, says the Lord. David uh, quotes the Lord. He says, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And so he's saying here that God will watch over the innocent. God will watch over the righteous. God will watch over those who are trying to do the right thing. We trust that the Lord will watch over us. We trust that God is our protector. He is a, 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 a very present help in times of trouble. He is our Refuge, and we, we live as Christians under the shadow of his wings. We trust the Lord will watch over us. Uh, and I've said this to you before, and we'll say it a lot through our study of the Psalms, but God, if you're a Christian, you know God personally. He's a, he's, you're in a covenant relationship with him, and because of that, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Amen? Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. If he allows it, he allows it for a um, purpose. We we abide in the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91. And so we trust the Lord will watch over us. Number three, we rest on the firm foundation of God's Word. The firm foundation of God's Word. Look what it says in verse 6. In contrast to the big, flattering, deceitful, empty words of the ungodly, look what he says. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation 
forever. Uh, we as Christians, as we walk through discouraging times and see discouraging things, we can find our, 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 our sure footing on the Word of God. He says a couple things about the Word of God here. First of all, he wants us to understand the Word is pure. The Word is pure. Look at the, the imagery he uses there. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace of the ground, purified seven times. Seven is a number for perfection. And if something's been purified seven times, it means there's no impurity in it at all. And the idea here is that God's word is, is mixed with no impurity. His word is pure. Hold your place, but look over in Psalm 19. We'll get to this in a couple months. But look in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. God's word is pure. As you hear me say all the time, God's word is truth because it comes from God with no mixture of error. Charles Spurgeon writes this about the Bible, which is God's word to us. The Bible is passed through the furnace of persecution, literary criticism, philosophic doubt, and scientific discovery, and and has lost nothing but those human interpretations which clung to it as alloy to precious ore. The experience of the saints has tried it in every conceivable manner. But not a single doctrine or promise has been consumed in the most excessive heat. In other words, Charles Spurgeon is making the point, the Bible has been under attack for centuries. People have been trying to disprove and, and twist the Word of God. And not one jot or tittle has been found to be false. In fact, the more we learn about archaeology and history and science, the more it all lines up with what the Bible says. Isn't that, isn't that funny? God said it is true. And as we walk through this world, we are, we are confident because we stand on the firm foundation of God's word. His word is pure. And his promises are sure. His promises are sure. Look what it says there in verse 7. He says, You, O Lord, will keep them. You'll keep your word. You always come through. You will guard us from this generation forever. So when God makes a promise... He keeps it. So promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He keeps it. Amen? Um, Promises like, I turn my ear to hear you when you pray. He'll keep it. Right? God keeps his promises. And we can trust him because his promises are um, sure. Dale Ralph Davis says this, What an immense relief to have a steadfast God in the midst of all the falsehoods and infidelities of life as we know it. Our God has spoken and His promises are true. He always keeps His word. And I, and I think about, you know, I'm, I, I try to be an honest person by the power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I don't even keep my word because I just get forgetful. You ever forgot something before? Like, you know, Claire sends me to the grocery store on my way home, and she's like, hey, I need bread, and I need milk, and I need some fruit. And I'll get home, and I'll have bread and milk. And she'll, well, what about the fruit? Was it that I was trying to be deceitful or, or trying to be, I, I just forgot, right? I'm just, I'm just not capable in my, in my weakness, my human frailty, 
of, of, of always coming through when I say something, right? Sometimes we just get forgetful. But aren't you glad God's not like that? Aren't you glad that when God speaks, when God makes a promise, He always comes through? And yes, I go back to the grocery store and get the fruit, okay? So I know you're wondering that. All right. So His promises are sure. And so as we look around and we see flattering words and, and big words, boastful words and you know, um, empty words, we can be grateful that we have this word. Amen. We have the word of God. And David finds his, his sure footing on the word of God. And then last, hope for the godly in a decaying society. We know that ultimately God wins. Ultimately God wins. Look what it says in verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. David's point here is this. We're surrounded by evil, but God, you will keep us, and you will keep us forever. Ultimately, God wins. Michael Wilcox says this. Both words of truth and words of guile are ever-present realities. The true words of Psalm 12 have nonetheless made another point. The wicked say, we will triumph, but that is their kind of word, and they won't. The Lord says, I will arise. That is his kind of word, and he will. And Wilcox goes on to say, he will, in fact, have the last word. Isn't that our hope? Like, things are so topsy-turvy and so discouraging. Aren't you glad that when it's all said and done, God wins? I mean, we live in a fallen world. It's beyond us fixing it. We can preach the gospel we can see lives change and the gospel make a difference in our, in our family, in our community, in our world. But ultimately, we're going to experience the fallenness of a fallen world until we get to heaven, right? But God's going to fix it. God's going to return. He's going to send His Son, Jesus, who will set everything right and rule and reign as the perfect judge of the universe. We know that ultimately God wins and that gives us great confidence in the here and now. Um, in other words, we've read the back of the book, right? So when Claire and I were in uh, Memphis, we'd just gone up there to go to school, there, there was a, a, a couple, a family we knew that uh, were from Perry, Florida. So we knew them a little bit through some other connection. We weren't real close to them, but we knew who they were. They knew who we were. And um, they knew we were in seminary and Claire was in pharmacy school and so they had um, two daughters, and they asked us uh, one night to babysit because we talked to them some, and, and uh, they had to go out for something. And, and so we went over there to, to, to um, you know, be with the, the, their children for a couple hours, a few hours. And uh, so Claire and I were there, and she was, you know, she was playing with the girls while I was watching football, okay? And, and it, 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 was the, uh, it was the Florida-Florida State game, okay? And uh, why Claire agreed to babysit during the Florida Florida State game, I don't know. All right, but uh, but anyway, I found a TV. I was watching football, and um, he he was a Gator fan. I'm a Seminole, of course, and uh, of course, and um, and uh, he was recording the the the, the uh, game, the old VHS, you know, VCR days. Remember that? And uh, so it was a close game, but Florida State won. Okay. And uh, I was excited about that. Well, he comes walking in the door. He says, don't tell me about the game. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. And he immediately goes to the uh, VCR, rewinds the tape, and begins to play the game from the very beginning. Okay? 
Claire's talking to the mom and talking to the girls, and I'm kind of watching the game with him, and I was so relaxed. You know, he's like, oh, you know, he's like, he's real tense and into the game, and, and uh, you know, Florida State would have a bad play. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. And uh, the Gators would score a touchdown. No sweat. You know, I was just sitting there watching the game, enjoying it, not worried at all. Why? I knew how it ended, right? And he, that's what David's saying. Boy, it looks really bleak, but I know how it ends. I know how it ends. We know that God ultimately wins. That gives us confidence in the here and now. And so Psalm 12 is a psalm of how you and I ought to process discouragement when it seems like you can't find a lot of godly folks out there. And it seems like evil is winning the day. When you're having one of those kind of moments, uh, read Psalm 12. Read Psalm 12 and, and let it encourage you. And, uh, and the Lord will use it in your life. Now again, next week, chapter 13, is about discouragement. I mean, depression. We're going to talk about depression and uh, how we process that. And I hope that will be helpful to you as well. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.